In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple. Badgers fall to Indiana 14-6. to Plenty to get to, including another really, really good performance from the defense. We'll get to your Twitter questions as well. But obviously, the conversation, Jesse, has to start with the offense, which was, uh, again, not very good. They moved the ball, couldn't get it done in the red zone. They held without a touchdown for the first time, I believe, since 2015 against Iowa. And also the, uh, the 13 total points between the Northwestern game and the Indiana game. The fewest in back-to-back games since 1991, when they also had 13 versus Iowa, Purdue, and Illinois against Michigan State. You have to go back the previous year, 1990, to find when they scored fewer than 13 points in in back-to-back games. And that is when they uh, had a total of 10 points against Minnesota, Indiana that year. Actually scored a total of 13 over a three-game stretch that year. Either way, we're talking about pre-rejuvenated Wisconsin football program when we're talking about these, these numbers it wasn't good, it was bad, and I don't really have an answer for why it was so horrible. Those are some incredible stats that you just laid out there. The fact that we're comparing this team that a couple weeks ago was in the top 10 and considered potentially a college football playoff contender to the early Barry Alvarez years, it says a lot about what's going on with this offense. And it just, it almost seems like the the bottom has fallen out because after two games, they were averaging 47 points a game. They looked great they destroyed a bad Michigan team granted but without eight guys from the two deep and just the last two games it's it, it hasn't come together and I think you're seeing the lack of offensive playmakers Graham Mertz has not been good by any stretch of the imagination so certainly the quarterback deserves uh, some of the blame considering that he's turned the ball over six times now but again he hasn't had a ton of help Indiana's defensive plan was Stop Jake Ferguson. Stop the run game. That was basically all that the Hoosiers needed to worry about. And now Wisconsin is sitting there at two and two. And instead of being a team that could vie for a, a playoff spot, they're vying to be the fifth best team in the Big Ten. It's just been a remarkable turnaround here. And, and the offense has been putrid. Yeah, it's been ugly. You mentioned Indiana's game plan. They did a solid job on Jake Ferguson. He obviously ended up with, what, uh, five catches on 10 targets, I think. So he did have some opportunities. He had more opportunities, had a drop, uh, came out of his break slipping on another one. So he had some other opportunities to make plays, and they they were unable to make them. They lost Kendrick Pryor again, uh, that in the second half. he had. It seemed like he was kind of starting to rev up a little bit, had a couple of nice catches, a couple of nice and run. uh, running. I should say uh, catch and run on that first drive coming out in the second half. They, They went to him a couple times in the red zone, and he couldn't come up with them. But yeah, not having Danny Davis was uh, another another huge part of it. But just talk about Indiana's game plan, stopping the run. Did they stop the run, or did Wisconsin stop itself running the ball? Because yeah, that- <laughs> I, 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 I and I don't know this to be the case. I'm, I'm I think it's probably just it's a question, obviously, that will need to be asked. I think probably of Paul Christ on uh, on Monday, and that is is Jalen Berger on kind of a, a carry count because otherwise it's a very very big time coincidence that in all three games that he's played, he's carried the ball 15 times. And he's produced every time. He had 87 yards, 93 yards, and then 87 yards again. He's averaging close to six yards a carry. But, you know, usually when Wisconsin is running the ball well, they'll ride that guy that's running the ball well. And they didn't do that uh, against Indiana. And they didn't do it against Northwestern either. Yeah, I think it's interesting because he's obviously the only legitimate big play threat right now in the backfield. And he did it again against Indiana. His first uh carry was a double digit yard gain he went for 12 yards and then he had other runs of 10 19 20 yards and if it weren't for that holding penalty on josh seltzner which wiped out a 22 yard run he would have been the first badgers player this season and the only tailback on the roster with a 100 yard rushing game which to me is the most maybe astounding thing about the backfield yeah no doubt right before you get into that a little bit further, the, the holding call, it was it was a hold, but it was so unnecessary. He was down he was ten yards down the field when Josh Seltzer was when the guy when he pulled the guy to the ground. Like it was just so unnecessary and, and just so stupid and just you know, indicative of their, their um, you know, shoddy play 
the last couple of weeks, just the, the lack of attention to details. But go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. I mean, yeah, Berger barely touched the ball in the fourth quarter. After that run that was called back, he, he took the next carry and really wasn't heard from again. Um, now, this is something – so I was looking at some numbers from Pro Football Focus and, and uh, like, snap counts, mm-hmm. and it it's interesting that obviously the coaches are not comfortable yet with Berger in a, in a pass-blocking role sure. or in many pass situations. Um, he, had, he played 25 snaps against Indiana. He was only on the field in a passing situation for three out of those 25 snaps. And he's only been asked to pass block on two out of the 87 snaps that he's played this season. So I, I just think that's interesting. Like, you know, we saw um, Garrett Groshek on the field at times in the fourth quarter. And obviously he's kind of the most versatile and does a number of those different things. So I don't know how much that factors into it. I mean, if you're just going to hand him the ball, then it shouldn't matter. But yeah, he it, it is a little head scratching that the guy who's head and shoulders above the rest of the running back group isn't really in at the end of the game, isn't carrying the ball, when he was averaging 5.9 yards per carry, and nobody else could touch it in the backfield. So I don't know if he's going to carry more, but at least he earned his first start, which it seemed felt inevitable based on how he did the last two games. So, yeah, it's it, I don't know exactly where they go from here with the running game, but you're seeing that the distribution of carries change substantially because look at what's happened to Nagia Watson, right? Yeah. He, he carried 19 times in the opener. And he carried 12 against Michigan, 7 against Northwestern. He only carried two times against Indiana, and he only played 10 snaps. So I think it's a slow shift, and Berger has a ways to go. But, yeah, it was it's very curious kind of the, the way they used him there late in the game. In, in your mind, and I, I think obviously when he's in there, a lot of the times he's getting the ball. In terms of him as a receiver, he's got that in his game. And yep. when and when you're, you're struggling to... Th- have you know when you're struggling to move the ball through the air, which Wisconsin has at times here these last couple of weeks, do you think maybe that you maybe get him involved there a little bit or no? I do, and that's another thing that I I mean, here we are again doing the the Monday morning I know, quarterback I know. armchair quarterback, but I that's know. kind of what we do here, and we're not in the team meetings, but we can only evaluate what we see in that first game. His first touch was out of the backfield, yeah. um, the first the first game that he played, and. He had two catches in that game. He hasn't had any catches since then. That was a staple of his arsenal in high school when he was at St. John Bosco, um, or, or Don Bosco Prep, sorry, and um, in New Jersey. And his high school coach said that he he creates mismatches that really make it tough on a defense because he can stretch defenders and he's got speed and he, he really has this pass-catching dynamic, which is unique. So the fact that he hasn't caught any passes the last couple of games on top of them not really having very many dynamic playmakers due to Whatever reason it is that all these players are out, yeah, I mean, I think you should l- utilize him more. I guess what I'm saying is, even if you're not, I mean, even if you don't trust him as a pass blocker, don't you have to have him in on some pass plays so that teams aren't gearing up to to come after the run on those plays that he's in? I mean, it just it would seem that there may be a little bit more diversity. Again, we are playing way too much money morning quarterback here and in questioning what we see, but it just it it feels when he's in, you know, what's coming, and when he's out. You know, you kind of know what's coming as well. So again, that's our view from the fourth, eighth floor, or wherever we are watching a game, and and not on the field and having to do things on a play-to-play basis and and, and figure it out. But Graham Mertz, yeah, let's get to it. This is a big picture question, an extremely unfair question, but a lot of people, certain people, in the media saying coming after him and and fans obviously as well. I'm asking this question knowing the answer in my mind that it's there there is no doubt about it but is Graham Mertz still the one? I don't think it's the most insane question to be asked right now and this is actually how my my follow story that runs Monday uh with takeaways this is my first question is does Jack Cohn earn some snaps the rest of the season does he step in and start it's not so outlandish after the first game it was completely out of the question because Graham had an otherworldly performance and Jack was coming back from a foot injury but you look at the last three games and understanding that the offense as we've said multiple times hasn't given Graham a lot to work with but he hasn't been able to take care of the football he's completed only 56.7 percent of his patches passes during that stretch he's thrown four interceptions he's lost two fumbles Jack had a better cast around him last year, but he only threw five interceptions all of last season in 14 starts. So you've got this senior leader who's who's on the bench now, who is healthy, who was listed as the backup quarterback, and maybe using Cone in some capacity helps to ease the burden on Graham. 
And I don't know if that's how the coaching staff will look at it because you know, another way to look at it is the more snaps he can get, the better it'll be for his future because you can't replicate in-game situations, and this type of adversity will help him down the road. And Wisconsin's 2-2 two and two and not exactly going anywhere at the time. But if he's getting beat up and he's having a lot of mistakes, you know, to have a guy like Jack that can go in, I, I honestly don't at this point think it's the worst situation in the world and maybe see what he can provide. Maybe you use both of them. I don't know what the answer is. Clearly, the future at quarterback is Graham Mertz. I mean, I, I really don't have any doubt about that. But there's this free year of eligibility. Jack might come back next year. And then I'm not sure exactly you know, where things go if you, if you put Jack in this season. I mean, what does that say about how you view Graham? What does it say about what you think the future of quarterback is? There are a lot of questions in play. But to your initial question, I don't think it's outlandish to be having this conversation given the way the offense has struggled at historic levels, as you mentioned, dating back to the early Alvarez years, even if it isn't entirely on Graham. My question was, is he still the one? Is he still the guys? He's still the one in terms of the future of this program and that type of thing. And so you're saying yes to that, but not so sure that he, that Jack Cohen shouldn't be getting some reps here these next three games. Yeah. That's okay. All right. That is that is how I feel about that. Okay. I, know I get right. long winded here sometimes. No, no, I, I just wanted some tangents, but I just no, wanted to I, confirm I, that. Yes, I, I mean we have to remember that Graham has now played four career games Correct. and hasn't had a full complement of players <laughs> in in three of those games. So, yeah. What? Or, you know, so that is that is substantial. But you look at like who's who's on the field at the end of the game, right? He throws a pass to AJ Abbott. First catch uh, ever. He had played two snaps. Yeah. He had played two snaps this season. He played nineteen. Uh, who who? You know, Jack Eskenbach, the tight end, catches his second pass yep. of his career. And I think it's just indicative of what Wisconsin has. And another thing that I think is worth pointing out is obviously the coaching staff couldn't have anticipated that Danny Davis wouldn't be available, that Kendrick Pryor would have an upper body injury for a second time. But when you don't have that, there really shows a, a glaring issue in the recruiting at wide receiver and the lack of playmakers down the field. And um, maybe next year it'll be different. I don't know. You know, Chimray DK is emerging as potentially the number one guy, but you're going to have to ask some of these young guys to play roles that they haven't to this point, and maybe even some of those freshmen, the Skylar Bells, the Marcus Allens, to come in and contribute, because it's, it certainly would be a shame if you've got a quarterback the caliber of Graham Mertzer or the type of player we believe he can be, and you don't have the playmakers to surround him with. And that's the thing. He actually mentioned that in his, not mentioned that part, but mentioned all the young guys that were playing and that they're, they're riding together, and I, I think that was... Worthwhile to point out because at the end of the game, he had a true freshman playing center. He had obviously a true freshman outside uh, as your number one receiver in, in, in Jim Ray DK. You have a true freshman in Jalen Berger who's going to be your, your back of the future. You know, obviously Jake Ferguson is still out there, but the other guys, the other tight ends are young. And I, I, you're growing together, I think, is, is kind of what is happening to be honest with you i mean i, I that's kind of how i feel about it and as you grow together you're going to have growing pains and they've had significant growing pains the last two weeks a couple other things with Graham Mertz: the fourth and ten play to chim ray dk could the ball have been placed better i don't think it could have been i thought it was a great throw did you think there may have been a little tug on chim ray dk in the end zone uh i didn't in the moment think enough of it to, to think it should have been a pass interference penalty i mean i get <laughs> I give Graham a lot of credit for getting that ball off in the way that he did because the ball dribbled Tanner, back to him. Tanner Bordellini snapped one that I, they said on television was a worm burner, but it rolled across the Camp Randall Stadium turf. And, you know, we may talk about this later, but that's a really difficult spot for a true freshman to come in and be this, the center of all positions on the offensive line for a guy who hadn't played a single snap, who probably didn't anticipate coming into the week that he was going to have that type of role. But Caden Lyles goes down. He plays just seven snaps. And they don't have their backup, Cormac Sampson, who's already out. And then Bordellini winds up playing like 64 snaps. So that was really difficult. It certainly didn't help matters. But, yeah, I mean, he put it on Jim Ray in about the only place that he could, and Indiana made a good play. All right, so no DPI for you. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Indiana stealing signals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Intrigue, mystery. It is. Right. So Graham said in the post game that when – they get they got a signal coming in, and they could hear the uh, Indiana guys yelling outside zone, outside zone. So they knew what some of the what what was coming play wise at least early in that game, and it led to him having to go over to the sideline between every single play and getting the call from there. Could they have done anything differently? Because I, I that 
just seems so weird. You know that they they obviously have been. That's how they do this. They have quarterbacks on the side signaling, you know, plays in, and they go ahead and run them. Is that out of date now? Do they need to go to the the big boards, you know, holding over their heads, or like what do they do? I mean, I, I what do they what do they do to combat that? Because that seems rather significant that a team is that well prepared that it's just stealing your signals or that you're not changing them from week to week. I feel like you. What could they have done differently there? Well, once it happens, I don't know exactly what you can do, but I think it's got to be at least a little concerning moving forward that if if one team can figure this out, why can't the other teams? Yeah. Um, or maybe they did. Maybe maybe they have. Maybe Northwestern did the same thing, and that's why they're they're struggling as well, you know, as they did offensively. But even when they started going to the, uh, you know, going to the sideline, it wasn't like they all of a sudden picked up and they couldn't be stopped. Right. Yeah, maybe they do go to the sign. I know Indiana had a couple of them. They had like logos. There was a giant Olive Garden sign. I never understand what those mean, but obviously the players do. I don't see Wisconsin going to that. But yeah, it was bizarre. And I think you tweeted about it. Like Graham was, must have been exhausted from running over yeah. the sideline after every play, taking time down the clock, having to come back to the huddle and, and get the play call in. But if that's, I mean. It's like doing a gasser. It's like doing between every play. Like. I'd be thrown up by the third play. <laughs> yeah, it it just sort of further highlighted the problems that this offense has. They weren't very good to begin with, and that didn't help matters. I mean, I, they deserve credit for crossing midfield six times against a really good Indiana defense, <laughs> but to come up with two field goals on those six possessions is unacceptable. Yeah, well, and they, they got in the red zone, which is a, an improvement from the previous week. So they got in there three times, had to settle for the two field goals, and then obviously the fourth down and ten play. Indiana only got to the red zone twice, but they scored touchdowns on both of theirs. And that was obviously the difference in the game. One team settled for field goals, the other one settled for touchdowns. And, and I mean, it probably should be fair about this. This game isn't probably as close as it was, if not for the drop by Indi- the, the Indiana wide receiver, who was, I don't think I've seen a wide receiver more open than that guy on that play. But that was one of the few mistakes in general, that the defense made. They were, once again, very good. They gave up 217 yards yesterday. They're now giving up 229 yards per game. That is the, if it, you know, it's a shortened season, still got three more games to play, but if they were to finish in that, that would be the second best of all time at Wisconsin. And that's saying something because the other teams in the top five are all in the 1950s. And uh, the explosive offenses of the 1950s probably don't compare to what we're seeing now, right? Um, there's there the little bit of a difference, I believe. But asking you, you know, big picture question here: Is this the best defense of the three four era in your mind? I don't know if I can say that definitively after four games. No, I don't. I'm not. I don't want to say that. I mean, I felt like that's the one I was going to say 2017. And and what stands out most is because of all the times the offense put them in those sudden change, terrible situations, and yet the defense repeatedly bowed up in much tougher situations uh, and gave that team a chance to go undefeated. I mean, that that's the one that stands out in my mind. Statistically, obviously, it's not on no, it's the a, same level. It's up there, actually. It is. 229.2 yards per game. Yeah, they were they were actually in uh, 262. So they were not okay. they were not that far off. They are, ra- they are ranked 10th overall uh, in terms of uh, in, in school history. Uh, that 2017 uh, team, but I mean, I, th- I think the 2017 team was better against the pass than this one is. But this one's better against the rush. I mean, I mean, this team is going to end up obviously uh, the the teams that were running the ball as much as they were in the 1950s kind of kind of makes it a little bit more difficult. But they're I mean, they're they're giving up in terms of rushing yards per game. That may end up being the second best uh, of all time as well. I mean, they they right now are giving up 72 yards per game on the ground, and that 2017 team was giving up 98 yards on the ground. The 72 yards right now would be second all-time only to that 1951 defense. I believe it was the – that was the, is that the Hard Rocks defense, I believe is what they were called? Yeah, uh, that's they, right. Yeah, they gave up 66 yards uh, per game on the ground. So, I mean, this has – I mean, statistically, and again, they haven't played the best offenses in the Big Ten, but they're still getting it done. I think they're as good stopping the run as, as any in this 3-4 era – Stopping the pass might be a little bit different if they had Rashad Wild Goose. Maybe for this entire game, entire time, he only played a game and a quarter this year. But it's up there, isn't it? I mean, it's got to be up there. 
Yeah, definitely. Shout out to Deron Harrell, by the way, for making his first appearance, played 11 <laughs> snaps. So I guess it took Wild Goose disappearing for him to, to get in there. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I look at this. No, go just, ahead. I, I had to double take. And I actually, <laughs> I think I sent out three different tweets because I couldn't, I wasn't positive every time I did it because I, I tweeted it out and I'm like, is that him in my eyes? Is that Dean Ingram? Because then people were tweeting about Dean, Dean Ingram being out there. I'm like, nah, that's not Dean Ingram. I see number six on the sideline. Is that, you know, six and eight is very, very close. But that's how rare of a sighting of Deron Harrell there is because, you know, he hasn't played since the Iowa game last week or last year, which is just insane to me considering he was a starter for a large half of that first half of that season. It didn't go great for him. I, no. I, I wouldn't say, yeah, I would not gave, say it was a great performance. Yeah, he gave a little too big of a cushion there. Uh, I think was it down in the red zone. Jim Leonard wasn't wasn't pleased about it. Thrilled. Yeah, and he, and he didn't play yeah. again. Yeah, but uh, um, he was there. Yeah, but to your point about the defense, I I mean honestly, my biggest takeaway is I it's like Wisconsin is squandering what could be an all time great season defensively, and th- th- that's that's what it feels like. You talk about some of the numbers to to even be in that conversation speaks to how well the defense has played, and and you know Northwestern not an offensive juggernaut. Only had 263 yards of total offense. Only ran for 24 yards on 23 rushing attempts. And Wisconsin was able to force some takeaways. And Indiana didn't have Michael Penix Jr., but Jack Tuttle is a pretty quality quarterback. Wisconsin recruited him. Hoosiers had just 217 yards of offense. I mean, the defense wasn't perfect, but like it's, it's almost nitpicking when you compare it to what's wrong with the offense. They had a couple pass interference calls. Again. Leonard sent seven guys on an all-out blitz, and that left Scott Nelson on an island, and you know Nelson wasn't able to to deal with that. That was a second touchdown pass, but I mean, I mean that you you know, yep. you got to take some chances. You got to do something. And then you mentioned the blown coverage where a dude was wide open and should have caught a fifty-seven yard touchdown pass. But on the whole, you gave up two touchdowns. Fourteen points should be good enough to win. And I thought it was interesting when Jack Sanborn was asked after the game about whether it was frustrating for the defense to play as well as it did and then not win. And he said that it was, and then he tried to say that the defense could have played better. He's, but then he's like, I think we could have not let up 14 points in that game. We could have held them to fewer. I don't know how many fewer. I was thinking the same thing. Like, were you going to shut out every team? You know, they did as well as they could. And so, yeah, that that's my big takeaway is you've got this great defense, and it's like it doesn't matter if your offense can't score more than seven points. I wonder if it was uh, just a coincidence that, I mean, I, I don't think he said anything horribly, but – for whatever reason, his uh, his audio was not included in the, the audios that they sent out. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to chalk it up to a mistake. Me too. I'm just saying it wasn't because they've they've had that as well. I mean, they, this has been so tough for everybody. But like hitting that record button, it's it's you don't you always forget to do it. Like I, I I've done it on Zoom calls, so I, I I would agree. I think it it just you're not thinking about it every single time, so it, it certainly can happen. But yeah, it was a very good performance by the defense. They have deserved to win. The last two games, they Definitely. have they've they've played more than well enough to win these last two games, and the offense just hasn't held up their end of the bargain. And I think everyone, the everyone on the offensive side of the ball, can agree to that. Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about the offensive struggles, I think it's worth mentioning the forgotten phase of the game, which is special Oof. teams, because Wisconsin, not good, not great, Bob. No, three. They of, look just as discombobulated. They yeah. they three. were flagged for penalties on the first two kick returns they had a a holding an illegal wedge block and then on the first kickoff they were offside and then devin chandler who's filling a new role because stefan bracy was out as the kick returner he almost had a huge blunder where he muffed a kick return and and nearly ran out of the end zone before kneeling for a touchback so you add that up it was uh two of the three phases really did not uh show up no they didn't it was what was it uh i think they had three of the eight penalties that they had yep so not ideal do you think this is just a, a COVID blip on the radar offensively, or is it something, a true concern? This is a really hard one to answer because um, if you start, uh, yeah, certainly like injuries, COVID-19 issues, this weird schedule where they can't build any momentum, that has helped to turn what once seemed like a promising season into what we have now, which is just disappointment and missed opportunities. But if we roll this thing ahead and you look at the future, is Jake Ferguson going to stick around or is he going to go to the NFL? Cause if you don't have him and then you don't have any of those seniors, then who, who do you have left as a, a legitimate offensive threat in the passing game next season? 
Yeah, and, Ch- and this is hard to answer it's because it's Chimray. That's it's, right. That's it. It's Chimray DK. That's 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 basically it at this point. And again, we don't, and we'll probably say this until we have clarity on it. But we don't know like what seniors will come back, how many will be able to come back, which guys will want to because of this free year. But let's just assume they're all gone. Um, it's DK, and then you're going to be asking guys like maybe Stefan Bracy, maybe Devin Chandler, since he actually played in the kick return capacity. Taj Mustafa and AJ Abbott, who to this point have not really contributed, and those young those young freshmen, like I mentioned before, Marcus Allen, Skylar Bell, and and the tight ends. Like I don't think right now you've got the the dynamic guy like a Jake Ferguson, but I th- I feel like Wisconsin sort of earned the benefit of the doubt at that position. Yeah. If they don't have someone next year. Like I feel like they're going to get there. They've recruited very well at tight end. They've got Cam Large in in this class and Cole Dokovich, and they've got a four star guy in Jack Pugh coming in. So. You know, I don't know how good it'll look next year, but I think it's a legitimate concern is what I'm getting at. Well, there was one note from warm-ups yesterday that, that kind of caught me off guard, and that was Jalen Franklin. Jalen Franklin, who was an outside linebacker last year, they moved him to tight end because of all the talent that was at outside linebacker. They moved him to tight end, get a little more athletic body there. Yesterday, he was warming up with the wide receivers and going through individual drills with wide receivers. 6'4", 228. Do you think that's just a... Because they're a little thin there, or do you think that's a potential spot for him? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a possibility. That'd be a very big body for a, a wide receiver. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I mean, you got if he's as athletic as as we think he is, and the coaches do, you've got to figure out a way to get him on the field in some capacity. But that's only assuming he's ready. I don't know that he's ready yet. If he were, he'd probably be contributing. But <laughs> right, one of those spots. Get yeah. on the field when you can. Yeah. So that was that was my one note from from warm ups and watching them yesterday. Oh, and, and Brady Shipper has moved from uh, safety back to running back, so they they got that going. Yeah. Tough tough day offensively for them. It, it, sticking with the idea of this this COVID thing, do you think when we look back on this year football wise, we'll remember the team or COVID's impact? I'm thinking COVID's impact, and I think we won't remember the team because it's going to wind up being just a mediocre, disappointing season. This has been so unprecedented, and never would we have thought that three games and counting, I mean, who knows where we'll wind up, have been canceled. That's that's probably how I'll remember this season. It didn't, they weren't in the top 10 long enough for me to remember it in another way. It's not like they went undefeated in the regular season like they did in 2017 and, you know, lose to Ohio State or something like that, the Big Ten Championship. So maybe it's a little of both, but to me, it's it's COVID related. And look at all the player personnel losses they've had because of that yeah for sure all right uh let's get into twitter questions as you would imagine i'm sure this was very rational they were they were very there were there were quite a few uh we'll start with travis he says because it was something we kind of talked about or we we mentioned you just mentioned a few minutes ago was um are there any key contributors who you think will be back next year given the free year of eligibility specifically wondering about the defensive line and uh the only guy on the defensive line that i know has already said that he won't be back is isaiah loudermilk he yeah. is, you know, he said that this is his final year and he's he's moving on. But the only other senior on the defense line is Garrett Rand. And in my mind, there's a chance that he comes back. Like I feel like there there's a possibility there. If he's allowed to, uh, I wouldn't be surprised what? by that either. What do you think what by saying are you just putting that out as a qualifier because you don't know, or you actually think that they're gonna limit some of these guys from coming back? I'm just putting it out as a qualifier. Okay. And maybe I'd feel differently if Wisconsin hadn't have done this with the spring sport athletes and I don't know how fair it is but maybe you know they view football players on a different level because of the revenue they generate I mean I you know the NCAA has exempted seniors from the 85 man scholarship limit for next year so if a school is willing to pony up and cover the cost of a scholarship then those guys can come back I just can't say definitively that the school is going to make that decision all right so that's sort of how I feel yeah, yeah all right so say they do allow these guys to come back right all of them. Who is most likely to take advantage of that? We go. Well, I mean, we could go. Posi- among, we could go position yeah. by position. We got time. So, <laughs> uh, you know, quarterback. Yes. Yeah, I think Jack Cohn comes back. Yeah. Even, yes. Whether it's at Wisconsin, I think is another question. Yep. Certainly, and the one that is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Running back. Does Garrett Groshek come back? I wouldn't think so. I don't know. I just I mean, Mary, he's married. Been here for. Five years. years. Yeah. I, I, I would probably say he'd be one that, that doesn't. What about Mason Stocky? I don't know. I, I mean, the other thing is, like, we don't 
we're not inside the heads of these guys well enough to know exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. I'm going to guess no, but like I don't have any definitive, you know. Right. This is all guessing. You are just all guessing. We, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to hold you to any of this. I promise. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Mason Stocky's parents were there yesterday for senior day. So yeah, I, I think that does make a difference. Yeah. It, it, it kind of, which I thought was nice uh, that they that they did that. I, you know, they didn't certainly announce it uh, until I think ESPN got a hold of it. I actually looked across and I saw these people in the, in the boxes and I'm like, what is, what is going on over there? And, but you could kind of see the, uh, see some people wearing jerseys. So I had Tom Oates who was sitting next to me looking the, <laughs> with his binoculars across and was pointing out jerseys and they were all jerseys of seniors. And so I asked UW and of course, yep, that's what it was. But um, I thought that was nice because obviously they can't, or they haven't been able, uh, allowed to, to come to Camp Randall and the other game that they played there to to see their kids play. They were able to go on the road and see them play, but nothing at Camp Randall, so that was kind of nice and um, certainly bittersweet for some of those seniors. But Mason Stocky, I'd probably say no uh, to that. Yeah. Uh, Kendrick Pryor? See, that's his fifth-year senior. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think it's tougher with a fifth-year senior. What's left for you? What, do you really want to come back for a sixth year? I, I that's why I don't see it. And Danny Davis, I really don't know. I mean, he, he hasn't been able to stay on the field this year. He'd be a big part of it. But I, I don't know whether he'd want to come back or not. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, I think it has, you know, next level possibilities, right? Like, does do, do Kendrick or Danny have next level possibilities? I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not sure right now. Yeah. Um, okay. Cole Van Landen, no. He's gone. Uh, he is. He, he is. He, I mean, he has admitted as much multiple times. Yes. He. So he is gone. There's no other seniors along the offensive line. Um, well, John Dietzen. Uh, excuse me. Yes, John Dietzen. I would say he's done. Yeah, I would think so too. I mean, obviously, this is seven years. Seven years, man. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, so John Dietzen, and then uh, yeah. defensive line Isaiah Larma gone. I think Garrett Rand could return. I don't know. We'll see how he's feeling. Obviously, he's dealt with. A bunch of injuries, you know, during his time as well. But you know, he's playing well, and uh, maybe he's got yeah. next level aspirations as well. I don't know. Linebacker wise, Noah I, Burks. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, look how many linebackers there are on right. this roster. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think this is it for him. Mike Mascalunas, another senior. I think this is probably it for him too. But yeah. Um, does, and then does, you go down. Does and, Jack, go just ahead. just a second? Does Jack Sanborn leave after this year? I don't think that he does, and I, I have to imagine that a big factor will be his younger brother Brian is coming into the program, and that's something that uh, would be really special, something yeah. that doesn't happen very often, and that's a big reason that Brian decided. I mean, it's not the only reason that he picked Wisconsin, but he, to go and play with your brother in college, that's that's unique. So, no, I, I don't think that's the only reason. I just feel like he can put another year on tape. He can be the leader again and position himself much better for the NFL draft. I don't, there's no reason to leave after his junior season. What kind of trash call was that targeting one on him? Was, uh, it was terrible. And I'm, I'm glad that the referees reversed it because, uh, that was a bad call. Yeah, but was, I mean, was, I guess it's better to make the call and then reverse it. Right. I don't know. Yeah. No, at least no, they've got review. Yes, de- definitely did. Did you just say brothers playing together is a rare occurrence? Where? I mean, because it's not rare at Wisconsin. It seems like it happens every. It seems like it happens every year. Uh, For we'll those ha- two the, guys, okay. any set of brothers, all right. It's a special, unique. Uh, it's not unique to Wisconsin. <laughs> They've got a bunch of brothers coming in, and JP Benchwall is another one yep. coming in whose brothers have played there. They're not playing together, but the yeah, I mean, yeah, they get guys. They do. Been through. They they know how to sell the brother angle for sure. They definitely do. Um, all right, so that's that's a linebacker in the secondary. Do you see? Obviously, Eric Burrell is, is not coming back. Colin Wilder, I I think he I don't I think he could. Yeah, I think it's a possibility. <laughs> I mean, he's, missed, he's missed some time. You know, he only played in two games one year at Houston, and then he transferred and had to sit out. Like that's a lot of time missed. If you've got a free opportunity, maybe you take advantage of it. Yeah, maybe. And then uh, the only senior at cornerback is uh, well, actually, I guess is Ron Harrell senior. No, he's a junior. But you have Caesar Williams, you have Caesar Max McCone, too, even though he's a safety, basically plays like a nickel corner when he's in. Though he hasn't uh, played very much. Um, yeah. I, I would say Ma- I, I would say Madison Coe's probably done, and I think yeah. Caesar probably is moving on as well. Yeah, I, uh, that's my that's my thought, too. So if we, it, as we go down this... Maybe I should... Before, before, we, before we go 
any further on this, uh, I just want to mention Caesar Williams. After after that, uh, they went deep to uh, Freifogel a couple of times with Dante Burton covering him. They let Caesar yeah. travel with with Freifogel. They put him on him, and wherever he went, he went, and he had that one catch, but that was it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, I, he did a relatively good job. That probably would have been Rashad Wildgoose's cover had uh, he been had he been healthy and uh, available. But you know, Caesar's got some size to him that I think. Uh, Worked well against against Freifogel. He had perfect coverage on that long pass that Freifogel caught. But um, go ahead. Sorry, as as we went down this list, I think there are a couple of Adam guys. Adam is the only other senior on scholarship, as far as I know, and he's a long snapper and he's been starting for four years. So I think that's that's probably a wrap for him. I mean, there's really not many guys left. Yeah, that you think realistically would come back. If- All right. So if you're if you're a guy, or if you're I should say if you're a fan, which one do you want to come back the most? Um. Gotta be one of the I'm, wide receivers, I'm, right? I'm, I'm I'm looking here and I'm going Danny Davis. Yeah, <laughs> they just I don't know. I don't want to say it's scary what they would have left over because there's some talent, but it's just completely unproven. Other than maybe <laughs> what Chim Ray puts on the field this year, and it's interesting because you start you start looking back and you think, man, how good was Quintez Cephas to perhaps mask some of the issues that existed? And we talked about that, didn't we? We talked about that with Kendrick, but yeah. We talked about that in the in you know in Jack Cohn, right? It was like him coming back, like he uh he did what he did with the best running back in college football and one of the best wide receivers to play at Wisconsin. We saw what the offense looked like in twenty seventeen with Quintez. We saw what it didn't look like with him in twenty eighteen. We saw again what it looked like with him in twenty nineteen, and there's a significant difference. I, Quintez is going to be one of the more unra- underrated players that have, has ever played at Wisconsin because when he was on the field, their offense was was just different. And so we're kind of seeing what it is. But I, Danny and Kendrick got off to a great start. If they would have been healthy, you know, throughout this entire year, maybe we're not talking about the defensive the offensive struggles nearly as much. But they just haven't been able to stay on the field. Yeah, it's 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 been a problem, and it just hasn't left Graham with a lot of options. So yeah. it's got to be frustrating if you're a Badgers fan to to watch what's happened. For sure, Mark asks. As I mentioned before, the season is over. We need <laughs> to, we need to find out if we have any playmakers at wide receiver, tight end. Do you see anyone getting more run or action in the last two games? If so, who? I can't watch more Dunn slash Groshek in a meaningless season. <laughs> well, at receiver, I, I think it might boil down to who's even available because right. they didn't have they didn't have uh, Danny they didn't have Stefan Bracey or Adam Crumholtz and then Pryor was hurt so I mean AJ Abbott was wound up being the number three receiver at the end of that game so I mean he's somebody that I will throw out there yeah yeah I'm surprised Taj Mustafa hasn't gotten more run I mean we obviously haven't seen him much but in practice a long time ago back when we could actually watch it just seemed like ah oh, he's got He's got a good body. He's got good size. It seems like he can contribute sooner rather than later. But at tight end, I just I don't think there's a lot of options. I mean, they've got Jack Eschenbach, which we've seen on the field. Right. So beyond that, those young guys aren't really ready. So Hayden Rucci's played a ton of snaps, but he's more, more a blocking guy. Yeah, for sure. Richards, as part of Richard's question, he says, uh, can Jalen Berger be a three down back next year? Um, three down back. Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before that, uh, as a blocker, he would probably have to improve significantly in order to be that every down back. I mean, the question is also like, how much improvement do you see from Isaac Arenda, who we've not seen because he's been out, uh, Julius Davis. I feel like Nakia Watson is heading in the wrong direction at this stage. I'm not going to rule him out entirely. Um, and you've got three running backs coming in, two of whom I think will wind up playing running back. I don't know that Jackson Acre is going to wind up at running back, but so you're going to have to rely on Jalen a lot, I think. But I don't know if he's a three down back next year. It took Jonathan Taylor a couple years to get to that point. Yeah, no doubt. Like his third year, really, even his second year when he was great, he wasn't that. Yeah, no, and they didn't really even add the passing aspect into his game until the final year. But he, as a rookie, he. He hasn't been asked to do it a ton, but he's been an okay pass blocker at, with Indianapolis. So I think it's, it's certainly – I think pass blocking is not something you can do naturally. I think it takes work. I should say, for most people, it's, it's not doesn't come naturally. It takes work. It takes 
time, uh, especially for somebody who has not done it in high school. And so, yeah, I think uh, he'll he'll get better and he'll be more diverse. And then it opens up their playbook a little bit more when he's on the field. Uh, and maybe you can't zero in on him as much as you can right now. Badger fan asks uh, two questions. What do you think is Nakia Watson's future as Berger is showing he's going to be the starter? Transfer portal? Question mark. Oh boy, that, maybe <laughs> if he's getting two carries a game, I think his future is fewer carries because there's only so many to go around. And Jalen has clearly, as I mentioned before, basically taken all of Nakia's carries. I mean, I think he can fill a role. He 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 had a six yard gain. There was a third and one, and he converted it for a three yard gain. He's that power downhill back, but. If he feels like he's not getting enough reps, I mean, that it's pure speculation. And you never know what guy, what each guy is going to do. I remember people talking about Bart Houston. Is he going to transfer? Well, he liked being here and he stuck around. So everyone's different. But I I, I can see it if he's not going to get any run here. Yeah, it's a possibility. Jeffrey asks, rank the coaches who hold the blame for the lack of playmakers at the wide wide receiver position. Ted Gilmore, Joe Rudolph, Paul Christ. <laughs> I don't It's hard to... It's hard to blame Ted Gilmore, Why? given what he was able to do with all those guys. But or did uh, he? Or did he get out just in time? Yeah, maybe he did. Because um, I don't know, man. No, it's 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 tough. Look, uh, there's a lot of young guys in there who did have not gotten a ton of playing time the last couple of years because of Quintez, because of Danny, because of Kendrick. Like it hasn't allowed for any of those young guys to jump up and and uh, get a ton of playing time and then being able to improve and and show improvement over time. Like I think that is and obviously you have to earn it in practice and you would you would hope, you would hope that your scholarship guys are able to jump over the walk-ons and, and Adam Crumholtz and, and Jack Dunn. For whatever reason that hasn't happened, but I don't I think there is talent there. Oh, yeah, and it's it's just the guys haven't developed yet or they're not at the level that they need to be. I mean, Mustafa and Abbott came in together. We have to remember Isaac Arendo came in as a wide receiver and they've converted him to running back. So on paper, you saw that class and you thought, okay, you've got some downfield playmakers and it hasn't happened yet. And I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the guys they have in the freshman class, two of them aren't ready. You know, Isaac Smith, Devin Chandler, it's really just Jim Ray DK and Stefan Bracey was the only receiver in the previous class. So I don't know who I say I put the blame on for this. Uh, I look at it, I suppose, like at least they got Alvis witted when they did to get a couple guys in the 2021 class. Cause can you imagine what a catastrophe it would have been if they wound up with for whatever reason, like nobody wanted to come in the 2021 class and you had nothing. Yeah, no, it'd be not ideal. Peter asks, how does in-game communication between, uh, Joe Rudolph and Mertz happen while uh, Rudolph is also having his offensive line coaching responsibilities, and that's a it's a good question. I think it was after the sack fumble, or maybe it was the interception. You know, Mertz came off and he was talking with the quarterbacks, and then you know, and and Chris talks to him, and obviously he's got John Budmeyer that he can talk to from up in the up in the booth, but. Joe Rudolph was was heavily involved in the offensive line. Like he was in front of the offensive line with a dry erase board going over stuff. And so I don't think that there was a ton of talk between Graham and, and Joe Rudolph there. I don't know if that's the case every game. Don't watch it every game, but yeah, I can see where that can be a bit of an issue. Because yeah, I think because, it's because more Bud Meyer. Yeah, because offensive line, the the um adjustments and that type of stuff, that is as big as that's like bigger than any other position on the field in terms of offense, like making the adjustments offensive line wise and getting on the same page, five guys getting on the same page. That's what those in between times are used for. And uh, Joe Rudolph obviously heavily involved in that. Yeah. And understandably so I, I, um, I'm not at all that surprised. You know, there's only so much time to go around in between plays and that's why you have a quarterback's coach. Graham works exclusively almost with, with Bud Meyer in terms of like breaking down film and spending time with the other quarterbacks and stuff like that. So that's why he's there. Yeah. Justin asked, would Wisconsin ever consider bringing in a passing game coordinator or bring in a more creative offensive coordinator? Now they, I believe uh, Ted Gilmore was the passing game coordinator before, yes, he was. before he left. So, um, so they, they have had that. It's not like they haven't. And then they've had one going all the way back to, to Brett Bielema. Uh, they they had a passing game coordinator, so I mean it's it's it they've had it. 
it just necessarily hasn't, uh, it's not the same kind of thing I think people are looking for. I don't see that happening. Nor do I. That's why you have a running backs coach and a quarterbacks coach. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't, like, I don't think that is the end all be all or difference maker if they brought in a passing game coordinator that, I mean, what would the passing game coordinator do that's, that's different? Well, I think people are thinking about Joe Brady at LSU coming in in 2019 and, and taking a passing offense that was less than successful and making it historically great um, and getting an NFL job out of it. I think that's probably what people are thinking of when they think passing game coordinator. Um, there were a lot more playmakers on that roster. Oh, you think? Just a, <laughs> just a few. Just a few. Just you know, the number yeah. one overall pick. A couple of first round picks, wide receivers all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the play calling? Uh, why uh, Bill says why is the play calling so stale? And when does Chris take it away from Rudolph? <laughs> For a hundred years, people wanted to know who was calling the plays, and now that they know, they don't like it. <laughs> See, but um, he wasn't calling the plays the entire time. Who Rudolph? Yes. <sighs> I don't know. I don't Again, know what uh, to here's, say about the play calling. I, what I what I've said well, I, every time someone asks about the play calling, because the because the play by play people will say great call by Joe Rudolph. This is going back you know years, and uh, I've always wondered because you know they keep on saying it. So I always ask. I asked Jack Cohn. I think it was yep. 2018. Yep. Well, you were there too, and he yep. said Paul Christ. So that's what I go by. So obviously something has changed now that Paul has given that up to Joe Rudolph. What, yeah, what do you think I went into that change? Just it, I'm not obviously there's no facts to back this up. <laughs> this this is only opinion. But what do you think? What why do you think that decision was made? I can only assume trust level and delegating authority, and I honestly don't know what the reason is. I don't know. It's sort of been like a mystery about how that uh, entire situation works, which is sort of weird. I don't know why it's a state secret. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think didn't we ask Paul? that same week about it and he didn't really provide he just said he was in constant like communication with Rudolph right and stuff like that but to address the question about like what they do with the play calling I don't know I mean what would I guess I would ask what what would you want to see differently you'd want to see Jalen Berger get more than 15 carries they targeted Ferguson a lot early in that game he was targeted seven times the rest of the team were targeted five times combined and he only had one catch in the second half but indiana's (laughs) he said indiana was bracketing him they were basically double teaming him so i don't know like who you would want to get the ball to more with the guys you have currently available right i agree but paul chris became a head coach because of what he was able to do as an offensive coordinator and as a play caller there i mean that's why he got the opportunity he did at pittsburgh Right, it, it it wasn't about his ability to delegate duties. Yeah, it wasn't his. Uh, no one knew if he was going to be a good leader in terms of leading an entire team. He has proven to be as such. He's proven to be a better recruiter than anybody thought he would be, especially uh, you know, and be able to close and, and get guys to commit. But his bread and butter has always been play calling and being an offensive coordinator and being the guy that you know that's. That had the two highest scoring offenses in the, in Wisconsin history. Like his his name is all over the record books because of that. You would think that you would want to continue. And look, it wasn't just him. The staff that was there, you know, and Joe Rudolph was a part of that staff in 2010 and 2011. Has been a part of the staff since 2015. That when they've had a lot of success offensively at times uh, in these in this six years. But when it comes down to it, he's been the guy. You know he's the one. He's the, he's he's the guy with the the play calling chops and that has proven to be pretty darn good at it. And I don't know why you'd want to give that up. Give that up unless you felt that confident in Joe Rudolph. And uh, he obviously does, right? But I don't know if uh, I don't know if that'll continue. We'll see. Yeah, maybe it's something they revisit. You obviously can't have what Wisconsin's done the last two games. I mean, I, if Rudolph is the one fully involved or, or it's split, like either way, the coaching staff is handcuffed right now because of the options that they have. And maybe you say like that's their job as coaches to figure it out, but they're also doing it against two of the better defenses in the Big Ten that have been exceptional at taking the ball away, at, at disrupting things. Indiana went into that game leading the Big Ten in interceptions with 16, in Country. sacks with 20. Yeah. So 
it, you know, it, it has been a very difficult and challenging time and, and tough opponents to do it against, but that's their job. That's why they get paid a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Adam says, uh, it seems the hurry up helped the offense flow on that last drive. Do you potentially see that a drive or two in the future? I don't know. I feel like that was more out of desperation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really see it. Like I don't, that's not what Wisconsin style have been. And it's awfully hard to have a hurry up offense when you run into the sideline to get plays when the other team's stealing them. So <laughs> I don't know. I th- And I, the other part of that having to run to the sideline all the time, the amount of time on the play clock when he got up to the line was so exactly. drained that it was really difficult to get some of that motion and uh, you know, the sets and all like that. So I, that was, that was different. I'll say that, but Wisconsin will uh, move on. It'll take on Iowa this Saturday. Obviously, I think it it helps that you're playing a rivalry game. Uh, kind of switch your uh, switch your focus pretty quickly here and, and start getting ready for uh, trying to hold on to the Heartland Trophy. They've had their other two trophy games canceled. We'll knock on wood to make sure that doesn't happen this week against Iowa. But Iowa's playing as well as anybody in the Big Ten right now. They've got they've won five straight since they lost their their two games uh, to open the season, and they they've put up some points offensively. Even fell down early against Illinois and came storm back and they scored 35 unanswered to beat the Illini. So it's a, it's going to be a tough game. It's like the, not that it would ever be an easy game there, but uh, it's when you're playing offense the way Wisconsin playing offense the last few weeks, that's a huge, huge uh, ask to go into Iowa city and, and get a win. Yep, it is. They're like mirror images of each other every year. And it certainly looks like Iowa's been the better team of late and they've got a good defense. They've got a good running game. You know, I think they're, Passing game hasn't been great, but uh, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those games with not a lot of points that's decided by one possession, and Wisconsin certainly could use something good to happen after <laughs> what's been going on. I just I wonder how much confidence people would have in this offense going into that game given the historically bad levels the last two games have been. They're going to need to get some of their their guys back and healthy. Yeah, and it's, it seems like Danny Davis would have a chance to play. He uh, warmed up, was out on the field for warms, but just did not end up suiting up. We'll see where Kendrick Pryor is injury-wise He with that upper body injury. I don't know. We'll see. Thank you very much, Jesse, and hopefully we have something more positive to talk about next week. All right. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.